welcome everybody to episode 71, 71. <laughs> of the Metabilis 2 podcast which features David and Ben. And this week we're going to talk about our uh, top five Hartnell cliffhangers. But I think yes, very we, excited about that. Before we do that, um, we're going to discuss some of this week's news, aren't we, David? Yeah, that's some uh, some news in the Doctor Who world. The first off, just kind of following up on our speculation on our collecting episode a couple uh, podcasts ago, we now have the artist of the new Penguin Target book covers, and they're done in the classic style, a Chris Achilleo style, by artist Anthony Dry. Did, did he do some of those DVD inserts? That's what I'm thinking he did. I think he did some DVD inserts of some of the box sets. Well, new series me... box sets. I'm pretty sure. Hmm. Well, let's see. I think he did some work with Doctor Who magazine in the past. Yeah, that's also kind of familiar. I'm seeing that mm-hmm. style, that kind of a he, style. He has been an official illustrator of Doctor Who before, but he... He has a, I wouldn't say it's uh, precisely Chris Achilles's 1970s style, but it's very, it's a riff on it. It's definitely, yes. A lot of where you have of... The, the doctor and the main characters and the, the kind of the, the pointillism black and white look. And then you would have color, uh, more of a comic look for the monsters and visual elements of interest. Yeah, kind of colored and kind of vectored and kind of smoothed out. And then all this yeah. kind of jack kirby style electricity thrashing mm-hmm. around them which of course achilleos as i just said stole off jack kirby um mm-hmm. the famous comic illustrator um yeah i i'm, I'm actually now pretty curious to read these books <laughs> i was going to ignore them completely in in anger but i'm now actually i think i'm probably going to have to get by them <laughs> especially as it seems to be they will be in the proper size that's what yep. was mainly bothering me that mm-hmm. they were going to be all big and hardback and like stupid looking like the mm-hmm. um like the douglas adam novelizations have been and i am super curious to see how you know an episode like rose it can be expanded to fill a novel to be honest that mm-hmm. that's 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 filling me with, with curiosity and the covers aren't that bad they're a bit they're a bit of a dog's dinner they're a bit messy <laughs> Um, there's a bit too much going on. In fact, they're kind of reminiscent of what Chris Achilleos is doing nowadays, which is, I'm sorry, Chris, I love you, but your, your, the current kind of Doctor Who cover work you're doing is not as good as the work you're doing in the 70s. Uh, <laughs> oh, <bless. dear. laughs> um, there's too many things, too many things going on. I would love to have seen on Day of the Doctor, um, on that cover, just get rid of maybe that Zygon and just keep the yes. Daleks in there. Yes, Because you've got to have the three Doctors in there mm-hmm. and, and the Daleks look amazing. They're total Ron Turner. Um, awesome, awesome Daleks, but that mm-hmm. kind of gurning Zygon. Um, I mean, I don't like that Zygon redesign anyway. Um, no. Those of you who follow um, Lee and Herring and um, Fist of Fun and This Morning with Richard, not Judy, will know that that Zygon reminds everyone way too much of the Curious Orange. Um, just Google the <laughs> Curious Orange okay. and um, you will know exactly what I mean. Yeah. Uh, Rose is pretty good. Uh, that's better. I, again... Uh, not entirely pleased. I think the, the best one is the is, is the Christmas invasion, which is the, mm-hmm. the cleanest. Yeah. What do you think? Well, the the feedback on the covers is the writer's name 
is much bigger than the actual title of the story. Which is wrong. Which is inverse of what we had previously. So yep. they're definitely uh, leaning on more the writer name than the title of the episode, which is a, a change from the past. Uh, the other bit that I've picked up from fandom is they have Series 2 Billy Piper on the cover of Rose. <gasps> Her hair is different, uh, reportedly. So that really? that uh, uh, raised some eyebrows and fandom. Well, okay. I mean, I, <laughs> let's let's just come straight back at you on that one, and we'll say okay. um, just let's look at the cover of the Crusaders by Chris Achilleos. <laughs> That's not a series one Hartnell on Mm-mm. the cover of that. So, uh, so, so it's it is it is within the tradition of these traditional covers. Yes. Yep. 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 I think Rose and the Christmas Invasion are the better of the three covers that have been released. Yeah. I have problems with the Day of the Doctor one. In general, I, I think his style works pretty well, especially uh, for you know 21st century Target novels. We haven't had, a, what, a Target novel since the 90s? Yeah, since the last century. But I would concur with you that the Zygon really looks out of place for the cover and that it is it's a little too photo collage and i know this is art this is not photo collage or not not that photoshopping is an art but this is this is uh this is uh art hand-drawn artistic art yeah he works but on this yeah he's not just churning it out yeah it's a little too photoshop collage for my taste and it really the the zygon especially looks like it has been lifted from a promo photo and kind yeah. of uh, slid in yeah and I, I their doctor's hair is too complicated they have their hair needs to be simplified <laughs> in my opinion well that's why the, that's why rose works uh, eccleston's hair is very straightforward and simple he, he has very straightforward hair that's one of <laughs> One of the things that makes him wonderful. Um, I'm <laughs> I got, very. I got myself an Eccleston haircut this week. Really, really. <laughs> I think I think the Metabolist Two demands that a picture of that be posted uh, in some way so that everyone can admire your new barnet. I think I'll pass on that. Uh, I think not. Um, <laughs> so you're you're getting your Eccleston cosplay together for um, for the summer. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah, yeah. That yeah. must be it. <laughs> yeah, that must be it. Um, uh, what's it going to, oh, so I'm one of, actually one of the things that's interesting me, especially about something like Day of the Doctor, is obviously, you know, the target novelizations, especially the early ones, did a lot of kind of, um, you know, messing around, not messing around, but a lot of kind of, um, some of those Whitaker ones, you know, just, uh, you know, provided new introductions to characters, and um, uh, certainly also uh, Terence Dix did. Um, Joe is introduced in a different story entirely um, than her original intro- introductory story. Um, <laughs> I'm wondering how Stephen Moffat is going to be able to kind of explain everything that has gone before, but... Mm-hmm feeds into Day of the Doctor. That seems to be quite a challenge. Well, coming out of Gallifrey 1 in Los Angeles a week or so ago, Moffat was uh, defending or um, championing his time as showrunner. And basically, I think if memory serves, he said the plot of the Day of the Doctor is basically this is a television show that's been on for 50 years. So I can imagine just a one-page preface just saying um, the doctor has had many travels, many, many adventures and many faces, but there's one face that the doctor hasn't acknowledged until now. Um, it is the war doctor. Yeah, yeah. Kind of the end of the name of the doctor with the war doctor. 
and then go into the novel. And I I predict that of those writers, Moffat will do a Uncle Terry type treatment of pretty much directly script to screen. RTD probably might add a little more background, and I don't know um, Jenny what Colgan. Jenny Colgan yeah. would do. Yeah, but that's um, just my I, prediction. I mean, RTD's written books before, so he actually knows how to write books. I'm suspicious that actually Moffat knows how to write a book, so I'm I'm very kind of curious to see mm-hmm. what happens there, mm-hmm. basically. Well, um, it should be interesting. The other other bit, Paul Cornell is doing the Twice, Twice Upon Post. a Time. And Which then... is even, has even less plot than Rose, <laughs> to be honest. I mean, jeez. I mean, how on earth is, it gonna be, mm-hmm. is that going to be a book? Mm-hmm. I've no idea. So which actually kind of makes me curious. It kind of makes me want to buy it. Cornell's a bona fide writer, so he might might expand it. He had decided in the past that he was not going to do any licensed writing anymore for third-party properties. But this is, uh, I guess he's taking his friend Stephen Moffat's script and turning it into a... 98, 128-page novel. And then James Goss is taking his City of Death novel and abridging it for Target. Yeah. Huh. So we shall see. We will see. see. We will see. We will see indeed. Mm -hmm. Well, there you go. Um, Next bit of news. That's probably enough about those, isn't it? Yes, next bit of news is... The logo. So I'd like to listen to the little video that they have because the sound design is very interesting on that. Here we go. All right, I'm going to push play right now. All right. And there we go. So a very interesting sound design on that trailer with the sound coming and going like that is you're catching bits of it and i get the real sense that we're traveling through time with that with the, yeah with, the, with the, where you, you kind of get only bits and pieces of the, right of right, the music right. coming through and kind of distorted i think that's very cool i'm really excited by this what potentially is the sound design and just the the visual playing and the audio playing with time in that 15 second trailer that we just heard yeah and the and the, and the visuals as well i think are, are super actually that's it's it's a kind of a way of visualizing kind of who stuff that i haven't actually seen before so yeah, that's good as yeah. well yeah no tunnel it's crossing crossing the boundaries crossing the boundaries exactly yeah 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 and then the logo we have another wide logo again uh, reminiscence of our debut in 2005 the the Ayasaron type logo, but with, <laughs> without the framing and a different font. Appears to be Gotham Book, uh-huh. apparently. I'm I'm told by Clayton Hickman, mm-hmm. who should know. Yeah, but with some bits and bobs added to it to make it more um uh, to make it look as though it's from the future. More logoy. More logoy, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I like it. I, 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 you know, I'm all for I'm all for new logos for things. Um, I remember hating the Eye of Sauron um, <laughs> when it came out, and now I quite like it. I'll have to admit, other logos. I mean, the Eye of Sauron has stuck with me. Kind of the the kind of relatively the the newer logos have been slightly more anonymous. I didn't really like the kind of blocky letter style logo mm-hmm. but this one i i can it's it seems it's got some distinctiveness to it mm-hmm. i like the way that it works i like the way that it works it works very good against a dark background it works a little less well black and white so if you had the word doctor who in black on a white 
white page it it doesn't pop out quite as much but on on a television screen it looks phenomenal with a darker darker background yeah have we, have we done a podcast about doctor who logos no we need to do that because there are some amazing designs we should do that especially the monsters <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah monster logos exactly mm-hmm. and as i said everyone is very partisan about their particular doctor mm-hmm. who logos i know i know i am and uh, the, again i mean think over the years you know the doctor who design has been very very exciting actually mm-hmm. um and i think it's introdu- introduced a lot of people to the concept that things are designed which i think is something that maybe certainly kids have to kind of understand yeah. it's not something yeah. that you are kind of born with knowing right. um, but the idea that things get just designed mm-hmm. and redesigned and you know things have logos mm-hmm. i think it's an interesting concept yeah so, and i think different yeah. different periods of the show have different looks and different stylistic traits yeah absolutely yeah 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 yeah, yeah. something for the future something for the future right well, there you go. That's some interesting discussion on logos yeah. and target books. So, looking now into our past with Hartnell Cliffhangers. Hartnell Cliffhangers. We've both chosen five cliffhangers. Yep. Ben and I do not know what each other's cliffhangers are from the Hartnell era. We do not. And uh, I guess we'll just uh, trade off. And if we have overlap, we'll say snap. And then we'll just discuss yeah. them in, uh, in a pair. And let, let me just provide a slight amount of context. I have only chosen cliffhangers for which the video still exists uh, okay I, I i've been able to see that cliffhanger and i also have recognized that i saw none of these shows when they first came out because i wasn't alive nor have i <laughs> so again when we come to later cliffhangers there you know we, we, we one may uh, kind of two cliffhangers that one remembers um so these cliffhangers are maybe slightly different i've chosen cliffhangers that meant something when I watched these these shows on video and DVD. And so it may not necessarily be like, I don't know, the most explosive cliffhangers. Yeah, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have one cliffhanger that is from where we know only have the soundtrack surviving. So it should be interesting to discuss coming up. It's it should be. We'll see yes. how well our memory works. <laughs> Whether it is or not mm-hmm. remains to be seen. So um, sh- who's gonna go first? Shall I? Why not? All right. The first cliffhanger I have is from the first episode, at the end of the first episode of the Daleks. And that episode is The Dead Planet. And this, I think, is known as one of the hallmark cliffhangers. This is the first time the Hartnell Time Team arrives in the Dalek City. Ian suggests that he and Barbara split up and explore and then meet back in 10 minutes. Barbara opens up a, a passageway, a portal, and then walks down endless corridors with doors closing behind her. And then as time runs out, uh, she can't escape. She's trapped in this room. And then we end end the episode with Barbara being menaced by this protruding plunger from a monster point of view. Barbara, with her back up against the wall, screams, and we roll credits. And that is just... That is that really captures the audience and what's going to happen to Barbara next week. And this is it's just a phenomenal cliffhanger. And if you weren't in Doctor Who at that point in 1963, 64, 63, I think your butt was going to be in the seat next Saturday afternoon. Yeah, if you didn't find that making you want to watch what happened next week, mm-hmm. then you weren't human, really. I mean, it is an absolute, absolute stonker of a cliffhanger. Yeah. 
because uh, it, it's really it's nothing that was has been seen on British TV before, mm-hmm. basically, or even anywhere American. This 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 is anywhere. This, this is, is new stuff. Yeah, and it it is it is frightening. I just I just watched it this afternoon, and it just with the Tristram Carey music and just the quirky camera angles it really works well you you get the sense that you're in a very unusual alien environment and barbara jacqueline hill really sells barbara being afraid and it works amazingly well it's it's probably one of the top cliffhangers in doctor who's history and comes so yeah and it's and it's it's something it's something that gets played you know very often um, just to demonstrate just how groundbreaking and unusual right. mm-hmm. and um, and just special this show was. So, mm-hmm. yeah, good choice. Good choice. Great cliffhanger by uh, Terry Nation. So, how about you? Um, well, I also went for the Daleks. Ah. Um, and I went for the cliffhanger at the end of The Escape. Ooh. Um, so, we are... One, two... We're on, this is the end of the third episode. And this is where the claw... the dark, so, they, they've, mm-hmm. so, they've done the... They've, uh, they've kind of established that actually you can climb inside a Dalek, or right. a Dalek is not a robot. Right. It is. This is not the adventures of you know Doctor Who's outer space robot people. Mm-hmm. These are not robot people. These are monsters that are inside a kind of moving tank. Right. And what you can do is you can is you can open up the top of them and you can reach inside and you can pull out the creature mm-hmm. and you put that creature on the floor and you and then if you're Ian you climb inside the tank and you know this could be a way to escape the prison, but. We're never really shown what, and I think this is some ways, I mean, uh, it's, this is where kind of special effects and stuff kind of, you know, start to kind of ruin, what not ruin, but, you know, alter the kind of mystery of the show. Right. Um, it really was only until the 80s that we really kind of like got an idea of what might be in, actually inside a Dalek. Uh, this cliffhanger, which is, again, they've, they've, they've placed this creature They've taken this creature out, they've wrapped it in a blanket, they put it on the floor, it's basically dead or dying. Mm-hmm. And as it is dead or dying, it there's a this hideous claw kind right. of emerges from underneath the blanket. Mm-hmm. And that implies that there is something just so horrific inside mm-hmm. inside inside a Dalek. And that a Dalek is not a robot, it is also it is also an organic creature of some um, kind. Um, and that's such a There such is a, a monster of, within the monster. It's such a moment of horror, mm-hmm. um, and again, I picked it obviously because you know I, I didn't see the Daleks when when the Daleks first first came out. Mm-hmm. But it is it is it's such a great piece of kind of early horror, early kind of body horror in Doctor Who, and it also did, there talks about to me how you know that it, the implied. A monster is often scarier than the monster itself. Mm-hmm. And it really refers to um, what I think became a, certainly my kind of golden era of Doctor Who, a great tradition of the end of the first episode, you always saw an appendage of the monster <laughs> doing a thing. Mm-hmm. And then the next episode, that's when you actually saw the mm-hmm. monster itself. Mm-hmm. To like Zygons and stuff. You know? Yeah. So Ray Cusick did have a sketch of the... Uh, kind of bulbous head octopusy Dalek on his drafting board so they certainly had visualized what they were going to do but it was an artistic directorial choice or maybe a special effects choice of not showing the monster or not showing the full Dalek creature that's inside the travel travel case the travel machine the mark one travel machine Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so that's my first cliffhanger. Mm. So both both of us have Terry Nation's cliffhangers. Terry Nation's cliffhangers. Um, yep. For my for my number two, 
Mm-hmm. I am going to do another Terry Nation cliffhanger from the first series, um, from the Keys of Marinus, the episode one, The City of Death. Ooh. And just to give a little background here, the Time Team has uh, encountered Arbitan, who has uh, uh, basically threatened them and uh, given them travel bracelets that saying they're all all programmed for the same destination. And all they have to do is twist the dial once and they'll be there. And Barbara says, here, hold my beer, <laughs> twist the dial, and she vanishes. Susan is surprised. Ian demands to Arbitan, what have they done with her? Arbitran hurries him along, saying, you got to go after her. Um, you just have to turn your dials and go after there. We see the time team disappear. We see the Vord kill Arbitan. And then... Ian and Susan and the doctor arrive to where Barbara supposedly went. They look around. Barbara isn't there. But then Ian notices her travel bracelet, travel dial at at their feet, picks it up, and he goes, this is Barbara's, and it's covered in blood. Whoa. Dun, dun, dun. Roll credits. Next episode, The the Velvet Web. Mm -hmm. And so it's just, it's again, Barbara in peril. But I'm very, very interested. I'm always, I really identify with the Barbara character. I really like her influence on the Doctor, and I really like her as one of the first companions. So that, for me as a viewer, okay, what's happened to Barbara? Well, we find out next episode that she's in this luxurious setting that isn't all that it seems, but she's it's, okay. It's, but it's, it's, it's get, a velvet it, web, it, yes. It gets you to come back the next week to figure out what the heck happened to Barbara. And, of course, another another Terry Nation. Yes, another yes, Terry Nation joint. Yeah. I think uh, He's Terry, good at cliffhangers. Terry Nation really knows how to do the serialized cliffhanger. He certainly does. He certainly does. Again, nothing to disagree with there. Uh, it's a fabulous cliffhanger. I think, um, uh, you know, actually of all the Terry Nation chase stories, <laughs> I think the original and best is The Keys of Marinus. I would, I would agree just, with that. You know, yep. It just rockets along. Um, I think we've already talked about this before on previous podcasts. I showed The Keys of Marinus to my kids when it first came out on DVD, which must be getting on for like seven, eight years ago. Mm-hmm. And they were absolutely gripped by it mm. for yeah. all however many episodes there are, which for a black and white TV show from the from the 60s was pretty impressive, I thought. Yeah, I think it's one of Elliot's favorite Hartnell stories, too. I think it really, yeah. if you saw this as a child, it really captures the imagination. Yeah, each, there's a little, there's, a, there's an over, overarching plot um there's a story arc i think as we call it nowadays mm-hmm. um each episode is self-contained mm-hmm. some you know, a, a version of a self-contained story with awesome cliffhangers of each each one of end of each one of those stories and you know the vord are great villains they're horrible looking <laughs> yeah they're scary they're kind of ugh, sadomasochistic like they're, shiny black creatures are snm aliens <laughs> velvet web indeed so my uh my yeah. my my second cliffhanger is from Wait for it. Okay. The Sensorites. Ooh. And we are at the end of um, the first episode of, uh, of The Sensorites, Strangers <laughs> yes. in Space. Yes. We've been noodling around a bit on a spaceship. Mm-hmm. Um, the man John has been doing stuff, Captain Maitland. We've been meeting the crew of, uh, of this Earth spaceship where the TARDIS has decided to lend itself. And we've been hearing about these Sensorites who are basically pretty powerful creatures. Weird, thing, weird things are happening with the crew. Um, there's There's... People are in zombie-like states, and it's all—it's all going a bit pear-shaped. And then, bam! All of a sudden, a sensorite appears at the window of the spacecraft, and 
it is really creepy too because it just kind of goes it's it reminds me of uh snoopy in the great pumpkin charlie brown where he just kind of comes up when uh, linus is in the pumpkin patch and he sees the shadow of snoopy uh. kind of rise up and then he faints this great pumpkin in the similar way ian sees the sense right go right outside kind of the f- outside the spaceship window and sort of like oh my god kind of floating up in space <laughs> right. and We've heard a lot about these sensorites in the first episode. Right, um, they're terrified of them. They've been, yeah. The, the the Earth crew are absolutely terrified of these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it then flo- and you know, it floats into view. It's mm-hmm. in space. Like, how the hell is it breathing? Right. It looks like a desiccated corpse of some kind. <laughs> it's got horrible hair on its face. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a really, really super creepy moment. Mm-hmm. The rest of the sensorites, you know, obviously. You know, there's a law of diminishing, return, <laughs> diminishing returns. On, uh, every episode is worse than the previous one. Um, the best episode of The Sensorites is episode mm-hmm. one. But it certainly, it is, it is a great episode, and it does get you return for episode two. It certainly does. Um, you probably then start to regret having returned for episode two. Um, and certainly you start to regret <laughs> when you return for episode three. It does, yeah, it does slow down after that. <laughs> does slow down considerably. However, mm-hmm. the first episode is a stalker and this is a mm-hmm. great cliffhanger. So I think, just in fairness, I'm going to let you go uh, oh. for number three. Oh, oh goodness. Okay, well, um, then we will... Uh, let me just go to my notes and make sure I get the episode... Uh, Sorry to throw you off. I just thought that's that, that that's that's okay. Because um, uh, I'm wondering if we're coming up to the same one here, so I'm gonna. Oh, I don't think so. I okay. don't think so. I think um I think yeah here I am. Okay. All right. So this is um this is from Dalek Invasion of Earth. Okay. This is End of Tomorrow. I love it. I love those termination titles. The End of Tomorrow. What does that even mean? It's fabulous. <laughs> the End of Tomorrow. Okay. Uh-huh. Anyway, whatever. Um, and it's the Attack of the Slider. Hmm. Now, I really first experienced, obviously, Dalek Invasion of Earth in the novelization, in the in the in the Terence Dix no- Terence Dix novelization. Mm-hmm. That Chris Achilleos cover of that book with the with the kind of you know the Robo Man who actually looks like more like someone from Blake Seven, <laughs> um, the Dalek, the Dalek saucer flying in. Mm-hmm. It is just an amazing read, right. and the 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 kind of ringer that our heroes are put through. Well, what the entire planet is put through mm-hmm. as the Daleks invade is just horrible. And then not only have they had to escape from like a hideous kind of Dalek-controlled London and Robo-Men and like they're digging down to the core of the earth and there's a mine in Bedfordshire. Then there's like a hideous creature that like the Black Dalek who's like, you know, in the SS or something is like <laughs> has as a pet to like further oppress the slaves. It's just, uh, the slide though is one of my favorite things for a very, very long time. Ah. Um, and it, 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 it was really kind of, it really, it really kind of, uh, it's, 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 a, it's just kind of one more horrible thing mm-hmm. that happens. And it's that kind of episodic Terry Nation plotting that, you know, cliffhanger after cliffhanger. Right. You, you, okay, I've got to have a cliffhanger to end this episode. I'm just going to invent like <laughs> another, hor- right. another horrible thing to uh-huh. happen to, to, to our heroes. And obviously the slider is, is, is it's not incredibly well realized um, on no. TV, but I drew, when I was a kid, I drew so many slithers. Oh, um, wow. I was the wow. biggest slither fanboy. <laughs> and I just was, and, and when I actually first saw it, I was like, oh, a bit disappointed. Oh. But anyway, yeah. So. Now, did, did you like the slither better in the, the movie? The slither, the movie, interesting. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the Peter, I mean, I love Peter Cushing. I'm not a huge fan of that version of the Doctor. Um, the movie is really pretty amazing though um mm-hmm. and 
uh, you know, Philip Maddox in it, which is which is great. <laughs> but you know, the betrayal of our heroes uh, by Granny, whatever she's called, and then you know they connect by the Daleks, and then you know the Slither is there, and uh, yeah, it, it's the, I'm a big fan of the movie. I'm surprised, but it, it makes sense now that you uh, say, said, you know, of course, you came through this through the novelization. I would have predicted that if you were going to choose something from the Dalek invasion of Earth, you would have chosen the end of the first episode, World at the End, when mm. Ian and the Doctor are surrounded by the Roman mm. men and the Dalek. That yeah. is a classic cliffhangers because, mm-hmm. I mean, but the thing is, you see, it's not. It's not really a surprise to see Daleks because right. the show is actually called The Dalek Invasion of Earth. True. So we have actually been but waiting it... that entire episode to see some Daleks. And when one turns up, it's pretty cool. But it's not, not the best cliffhanger, in my opinion. But you might not have known that if you're watching it on first viewing back in the 60s. But is, wasn't it... Oh, well, that is true. Okay, that is true, yes. Mm-hmm. Because... So only if you had picked up the Radio Times probably would you have known that the Daleks were returning. Of course, this was in the middle of Dalek Mania, and of course, every kid worth their tuppence knew that the Daleks were returning, so I guess they were on That the- is true, because of course, at this time, as, as, as all, great, all proper fans of Doctor Who would know, is that the show is, that basically, this was, this was a series of individual episodes, um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and, and that individual stories did not have individual titles, um, right. and this, this episode was called World's End, right. which of course is, is, part, of, um, is uh, a part of Chelsea, actually, which I think is where, is, is that's the bridge... Um, under which the, the Dalek arrives. So it's a nice kind of, you know, um, okay. yeah. It's a great story. It's very evocative of World War II with the resistant fighters and the Daleks um, doing a, a spot-on impersonation of Nazis in London. So it's it's a great episode. Yeah. But um, knowing that you came from this from the novelization rather than watching it in a television series, it makes sense that you choose the slither, which you gravitated towards as a, as a young reader rather than that scene. Because, again, like the Dalek claw emerging from underneath the blanket, like the slider is not really ever described other than that it's absolutely terrifying mm-hmm. and the Daleks only have it to terrify their slaves right. and it eats humans and it has no other purpose than to provide like a great cliffhanger so anyway that's, okay. that's the slider well my number three now, yeah number three yep my number three is from the time meddler episode three a battle of wits and to set the stage um, the monk has just returned from the monastery snap <laughs> I knew. Mark has a TARDIS. All right. Oh, anyway. Yeah. Okay. Carry so on. The, let on. me let me describe this. Okay. So the monk has returned just from the monastery after return uh, arranging with Woolnoth and Edith to light the Vikings' beacon fire. The monk is setting the Vikings up to be uh, uh, to be obliterated by one of his weapons. And the monk returns to the monastery. He's gloating over Sven, and the doctor sneaks up behind him and uh, uses Sven's uh, drawn sword against the monk to put the monk at a disadvantage. Meanwhile, Stephen and Vicky are exploring the monastery. They find a cable leading into a sarcophagus. With a, there's a doors in a sarcophagus. They open up the doors, and Vicky and Stephen go inside. And Vicky goes, "It's a TARDIS." The monk's got a TARDIS, and it just can you imagine? <laughs> yeah, this is—I mean, this is the first time ever that we've met anyone else who's had a TARDIS, and that's mind blown. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's like, what the hell? There's a, there, there are other people with TARDISes. Mm-hmm. It's it's a it's a, yeah it's an amazing it's you know it's an amazing revelation um, because then you know the, the Doctor is not alone. It comes in episode three, and we have and this is a four part story. And they've been building up this mystery of the monk, and they've been letting clues in that this guy 
isn't all that he seems. He seems to be a time traveler with the, with the phonograph player and the, the list and whatnot. But then the tone of the story and the seriousness of the story just we 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 learn in that instance how how deep of a situation the doctor and his time team are in right it's not just like a jolly historical romp again of course the time meddler himself is doesn't isn't actually as terrible and and, and as an adversary as one might uh, perhaps you know assume at the beginning but still right. um to, to 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 find out that the doctor again is not alone as a time mm-hmm. traveler is, is just absolutely absolutely astounding really yeah it's it's one of the seminal moments of uh, hartnell era doctor who yeah yeah definitely all right, so for number four. Right, um, uh, we're out of order. So I can go okay. again or you can go, either way. Um, uh, why don't you go? All right, so I am going to choose the arc, episode two, end of episode two. The Doctor and uh, Dodo and Steven say goodbye to everyone on the arc and they head off in the TARDIS. Um, they, they land. The episode uh, <laughs> doesn't end when they take off. They land. And they're back on the Ark. They look around. Uh, Dodo insists it's only been seconds since they left. They look around, but the spaceship seems a little derelict and abandoned. And they go in where the statue is being built. Dodo looks up, and the head is a monoid. Dum-dum-dum. Crash to the credits. The return. So we are playing with time in a Hartnell-era Doctor Who. And that... It's not the greatest story, but that is a great, great cliffhanger. <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, I think it's pretty much one of the first uh, who's where, you know, internally within the show, we actually have a kind of a time, you know, we, we, we actually do, we do something that we do something that involves time travel. And we, have, we start to imagine, like, a, what must it what could happen if you have the ability to not just travel in space, but also to have the ability to travel in time. Right. It begs the question, what went wrong? That's what that's what they're trying to figure out. Yeah. And so yeah. Yeah. I think it would have worked better, perhaps, if they had a, another story in between the two, that we had a two-parter of uh, the arc part one, effectively, then a subsequent story, and then returned after that to the arc part two. Um, having it back-to-back, I don't think it works quite as well, but then... Would the audience have remembered if we had a very long six, seven part Doctor Who story in between the two parts of the arc? Between the parts, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And again, you know, the fact that the Monoids really there are they again, they're not great villains. Mm-hmm. Um, they look good, but they've really not got a huge amount to do with themselves. And the uh, story, I mean, the story is pretty weak sauce too. But that's a great cliffhanger. It's an unarguably a great cliffhanger. Good. All right. Well, I am going to go with. I'm afraid another terror. <laughs> Now, the Terry Nation episodic, <laughs> episodic cliffhanger, I'm going to go with The Executioners, ah. which is really placed to your point about why I didn't pick epi- end of the beginning of episode one of uh, The Dalek Invasion of Earth, because I picked the end of episode one of The Chase, which is basically <laughs> the same thing, where what emerges from the sand of the mysteriously mm. named planet Aridus? Why is it uh, called Aridus? Uh, it's uh, because it's arid. A Movellan? It is a Dalek. Oh, it's a okay. Dalek. <laughs> and I kind of love it because it is a... An, <laughs> it's, it's Terry Nation. It's exactly the same cliffhanger, only instead of water, it's sand. Yeah, it's, it's the beginning of Terry Nation is out of ideas. 
<laughs> and only and the, so yes, I mean basically yeah, it's like I I can't I don't know. Hang on, why I don't know. Instead of coming out of water, it'll come out of sand. Brilliant. That's just that's just as good. I'm a genius. Um, what am I going to call the sand planet? I'm going to call it Aridus. Yeah, yeah, because that's what people would call their planet if it was a sand planet. Yes, of course. Um, so again, I mean, I'm I'm actually a big fan of the chase. I think the chase is a lot of fun. I love these episodic shows, the episodic ones where it's you know just. Story after mm-hmm. story, you know, uh, uh, Empire State Building, Dracula, right. Right. the Ugh. Nigerian World's <laughs> Fair, wherever the hell they end up. Um, the mechanoids are super. Um, mm-hmm. Peter Purvis turns up as Stephen. Um, it's a, it's you know, and there's a pretend doctor, mm-hmm. uh, like a doctor robot. But anyway, it starts off really, really well with the sand Dalek emerging pretty unconvincingly from the sand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh... <laughs> Pretty unconvincingly. Yeah. 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 The, that sand was a bit wet, really. It should have been drier <laughs> of the planet Aridus, I, I feel. But anyway. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I'm, I guess I'm of the, the school of, oh, it's the chase. The only reason why we're watching the chase is because the Beatles, and this is our farewell story to Ian and Barbara. So I just never could get into the chase. The the haunted house bit and, and the Empire State Building, that just... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like the chase. I like. I watch the chase. Okay. I mean, you, the only reason you don't watch the chase is because you're cross with your DVD that doesn't have the Beatles on it. Yeah. Well, I still have, like I said, I have the VHS, but yeah, know, whatever. That's, that's true. That's true. That's uh, all right. So okay. My final cliffhanger here. Yep. Is uh, a missing adventure. Ooh. The the savages part two at the end Ooh. of part two. Interesting. Now. The Doctor, Stephen, and Dodo land on this planet, and the Doctor is invited by the elders, saying that they have followed his uh, travels through time and space, and he's welcomed as a visitor. And uh, as he learns, as the Doctor learns about what the elders are doing, draining the life energy of the savages, he decidedly takes a a countering viewpoint, saying uh, he doesn't approve, he... Uh, thinks this is not the this is not <laughs> not good basically, and they invite him to the laboratory where they do the experiment so he can watch, right? And <laughs> he can watch an energy transference. The uh, the doctor reminds him that he disapproves of energy transference, and the elders say, "Well, you know." Uh, it doesn't matter if you disapprove or not because you're going to be part of this. And the doctor says, oh, oh no, I'm not. Oh, yes, uh, you are. And they say, <laughs> oh, yes, you are. And the doctor goes, I will not submit to your nauseating experiments. I am going out of that door, so don't try to stop, me. stop me. And then they zap him with a ray gun, a light weapon. Um, the doctor's out cold. He's strapped to a gurney. They wheel him into this energy-draining contraption, and they start draining the doctor, and they're concerned that uh, a being of this sophistication is going to overload the system, but it works, and then the, the researcher, the doctor, Senta, says uh, vaporization is perfect. Everything is working. It's going to be a classic transference. This is our greatest success, and you hear the vats bubbling, and um, the description is everything's working fine and but the doctor is being drained of all energy i think that's a for for a it's hard to visualize with without the pictures but this late in hartnell's tenure is still in peril you're still attached to the doctor you want you want to see if he can make it out of this he is totally dehabilitated he's totally at the mercy of the elders and what's going to happen next 
and we, we find out uh, how the doctor uh, influences the situation with his life essence or his energy, life energy uh, transferred into one of the, the lead elder. So that's, that's I'll, I'll leave the cliffhanger as is, but it's, it's, it's one of the great cliffhangers of the missing Doctor Who. Very good. I'll have to say, The Savages is not a Who serial I know very well because it doesn't exist. And I think there, we don't even really have any telly snaps of The Savages, do very we? Li- very few pictures of the production. We do thankfully have the um, soundtrack, and it's yep. uh, narrated by Peter Purvis, uh, who played Stevens. So uh, it's it's definitely worth a listen to. Definitely, definitely. Um, I, I can't fault it. The you know our hero is in, and you know at this point, of course, the Doctor is our hero. Of course, as we all know, yep, originally yep. Um, it was really it was Ian and Barbara who are who are were our heroes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the Doctor is now our hero. We're worried about him. You know, yep. how is he going to get out of this one? Mm-hmm. Um, even the sonic screwdriver can't help me <laughs> at this point. We're, we're at pre-sonic days here. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Um, a, a great cliffhanger. Yes. Yeah, thank I, you. Nothing. Okay. Nothing to argue with. How about your number five? Well, technically, I don't have a number five because Ooh. we had a snap with. Uh-huh. Um, well, then I have a bonus one. And I also have a bonus one. Okay. Well, go ahead. Well, my bonus again. I'm sorry. It's another. It's another monster reveal cliffhanger because uh-huh. I just can't get over how brilliant those are. And it is the end of the first episode of the Tenth Planet. Ah, uh, excellent. Yes. When. Um, and again, some of this really again goes back to these these darn target novelizations. Mm-hmm. The target novelization of the Tenth Planet has a great cover. It has Mondas, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, encircling the Earth with some great Jack Kirby kind of electrical crackles, and yep. then two Cybermen. There's no Doctor on the cover of this of this novelization. If you turn that novelization over, you will see a Cyberman like with his great hand sticking out. And then a kind of little kind of back piece of like these mysterious figures approaching the TARDIS. Right. When I read that, what I now understood to have been the cliffhanger, this idea of these mysterious figures approaching through the snow, they are so much bigger than humans. Right. Um, they're so much more powerful than humans. Mm-hmm. What the hell are they? Um, right. And it's just a mysterious and frightening. They don't make any sound. It's a blizzard. Uh, it's it's just a just so atmospheric mm-hmm. and wonderful and clever and frightening and um, you know uh, you know you you be you're obviously at this point in the show you know you're very much invested in in the heroes but you're mm-hmm. also invested in the in, you know in all the characters that you've begun to meet at Snowcap. Um, right. You've got some wonderful astronauts up in space. You've got mm-hmm. some Americans and probably some Frenchmen and a whole bunch of other inter- yep. international people. Yep. A German. And um, yeah, it's 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 a great cliffhanger. I really enjoy it. Yeah, and with the Cybermen emerging from the snow, we we see earlier, just a little few seconds earlier, we see the Cybermen spaceship landing on Antarctica. Then we see the, the soldiers going to investigate uh, the TARDIS. A couple of them go back. One's left guarding it. He's freaking out because he sees these um, people or these Cybermen on the surface of Antarctica approaching him. He fires his gun. They whack him <laughs> right in front of the TARDIS door. And the Cyberman puts on his cloak. And then the other soldiers come out and they go, hey, what you looking at? Or into the, to who they think the soldier is. And it turns out to be a Cyberman and they get whacked too. And they get whacked in a horrible, I mean, I mean, they get, they get, 
cracked on the back of the neck with right. with, with cyber it's like mm-hmm. a it's a pretty horrible horrible you know they're like yeah. they're clubbed to death basically right and it just emphasizes just how powerful and strong the cybermen they are because with the with that lantern headpiece they appear taller and they have tall actors portraying the cybermen and then the episode just ends with the Cybermen staring into the camera. And, of course, you don't know that they're called Cybermen. You've never no. seen Cybermen and before. They don't no speak or anything. They don't speak. No one said the word Cybermen. They're just, what are these things? What are mm-hmm. they, like Yeti or something that suddenly yep. arrived? I mean, you know, actual you know, real Yeti, not right. Doctor Who Yeti. Um, yeah, it's, 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 it's great. It's a, yeah. it's, a, mm-hmm. it's a great cliffhanger. Yeah. In the same story, yeah. I will add for the bonus cliffhanger, uh, the end of part four, where... We have our first regeneration. It is, a, it is a classic cliffhanger. Yeah. And as a viewer, we don't know what's happening here because no one knew what was happening other than that a production company, that we are changing actors here. The doctor is leaving Snowcap Base because he is the, you know, this old body's wearing a bit thin. He yep. gets the cloak from Ben or Polly, heads back to the TARDIS, locks the door, and the TARDIS controls start going wild. Ben and Polly are banging on the TARDIS doors. Eventually they break in just to see the doctor collapse and his body and face start changing. Right. We go to credits. And when we have Doctor Who return, it's a whole new series. It's a whole new yep. lead actor, never been done before. And oh my yeah. gosh. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's a, yeah, it's it's a set. I mean, it's 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 good that you had that as your bonus because um, obviously you know it's a it's a cliffhanger. It's it's you know it's it's a lot more than just like <laughs> let's watch next week cliffhanger. It is wow, this show is completely knocked it out of the park in terms of completely changing what is going to happen. What is going right. to what literally what is what possibly can happen next, and uh, it's right. why the show is right. so great. It really again piques interest and. It's not often that we have a part four that has a cliffhanger because the cliffhanger is we get a new story next week. The final episode usually doesn't end on a cliffhanger. This is one of the few stories in Doctor Who where we end on a cliffhanger. Yeah, very good. Yep, yep, can't argue with that one. Yep, Can't argue with that one. That that is it. I mean, the Hartnell era has some really good cliffhangers, and I think we hit upon some of our favorites this podcast. Yeah, uh, uh, cliffhangers. Uh, uh, I think they're an underrated uh, skill, and um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, cliffhangers is one of the things that made us watch Doctor Who at the very beginning. You, right. you just had to find out what happened next. It was like, oh my god, how, what is going to happen next? Not even so much how the heroes are going to get out of this, but literally, what is going to happen next? It's, it's, it's. Right. And that's, I think, what is so great about who cliffhangers in general is. As it said, it's not a, a kind of a Buck Rogers style, like how are they going to escape from this particular predicament. It's like that was so right. freaky and amazing and cool. I can't even believe that anything could possibly happen next. And. We may see a return of more cliffhanger type serialization if Chris Chibnall does decide to do a whole series arc, one continuous story told over 10 10 episodes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, we'll see. But we We, we shall see. We will see see in October, I think, yeah. Can't wait. Good. Well. Cool. There you go. Excellent. You've you've wasted another hour or so listening to the Better Beavers (laughs) 2 podcast. Um, time to close. Uh, I have, as always, been Ben. And I have always been David. Always. So thank you for listening and talk to you again in a fortnight. Goodbye. Bye.
Orlando. <laughs>